Blog Talk Radio. glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Good evening, Susan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited that we get to talk to Linda Conley tonight. Celebrating mm-hmm. thirty five yeah, years of say celebrating thirty five years of apprentices. And last night I did a teleseminar with Sherry Winston. I said, Sherry, how long ago was it that you apprenticed? Twenty five, twenty six years? She said, Well, it was before I was pregnant with my son who's thirty. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And I got to meet her at your place when I was out there, so that's... Yeah, and Linda, too. So it's such a thrill and a pleasure to have these wonderful women in my life for such a long time and to see the tremendous 
delicious work that they are doing out in the world. We will be learning about the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, where I will be this year. I'll be doing a fringe event as well as several events during the conference. And um, Linda's not just going to, you know, tell us about the conference. She's really going to share her heart with us about what it's like to organize such an event. I actually find that it's something that quite a few of my apprentices have done. Pam Montgomery um, was apprenticing with me, uh, oh gosh, almost 35 years ago when I came home um, from the West Coast, very upset that the West Coast herbalists thought there were no herbalists on the East Coast, and she started the Green Nations Gathering, which um, was very regular for quite some time and then kind of appears and disappears, kind of like the island of Avalon. You never know when it's going to be there. And um, Eagle Song out on the West Coast does the uh, Pacific Northwest Women's Herbal Conference. And then Linda Conroy and I must mention Karina, who does the biggest one of them all, the Southeast Women's Herbal Conference. And, of course, it was apprentices of mine who started the uh, Northeast Women's Herbal Conference, which has since grown and grown and grown beyond them and beyond anything we could have imagined. Let's hear it for all of those apprentices and all of those women who attend those conferences and who are making herbal medicine people's medicine. We're really doing it. This work that we've done over this past 35 years, I really see it blossoming and bearing fruit and having just such a magnificent connection to women in their homes. And thank you to Rebecca as a past apprentice for all that you do. It's very special to me and very dear to my heart. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I couldn't imagine supporting anything more that I'm more passionate about, so... I love it too. I love everything that you do, yeah. everything that everybody's doing. So, yeah, um, yeah. I just realized something. I have to forward you um, Linda's questions. She like had updated these questions, and I realized that you don't have the right set of questions. And I'm just well, gonna, can I, I send those? I, I, it says, "Look, new questions." Oh, okay, you did get them. Okay, good. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you got them. Okay. All right. Okay, great. So great. I I got it. We are ready to hear the new questions. I'm ready to ask the new questions of Linda. And as we know, I don't keep myself strictly to the questions anyhow. And for those mm-hmm. of you who missed the teleseminar last night, ooh-wee, people can can still listen to it, right? It was recorded. Yeah, they can find it at the bookshop, and um, if they go to your Facebook page, there's links to to purchase the the teleseminar and listen to it. Did you enjoy the, the teleseminar last night? Oh, yeah, and it's, like, very relevant to my life right now just because I've just been going, you know, I've been in a long-term relationship and just going through um, lots of stuff myself, like, I have, you know, a background in, like, sexual abuse and stuff like that. And so, 
you know, like as I'm aging and the more kind of sober, conscious and like opening up with my partner and like finding ways to like stay open. And yeah, so it was really interesting for me to listen to and very timely, timely for me to listen to as well. And, you know, it's kind of, I think it kind of, there's like this uncomfortability, like when I had sex, you know, like there's so much in there for me, like, but I think it's also really good because it, it's uh open it was it opens me up to hear the way that you all like talk about it and you're so comfortable and you're so in um you have so much experience and so it's like it really is it was helpful for me to hear yeah yeah i i I must say that it left me missing fern so much ah my beloved fern a lover that i shared with marie summerwood and as a matter of fact, I told mm-hmm. them that if they ever decided to get married, they had to let me perform the ceremony. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of sexual experiences, it's a story worth retelling that as Fern was literally on her deathbed and I managed to grab a little time, Marie was there with her. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Marie. Um, and I managed to grab a little time to go and be there. And Fern looked at us and she said, all right. I want to give you two my wonderful, beautiful lovers. I want I have two vibrators, and I want to give the two of you those vibrators. But you have to earn them by mm-hmm. laying in bed on either side of me and having orgasms. Now, Marie and I have taught sacred sex together, but we have never been lovers, she and I. And so there was that, you're talking about that uncomfortableness. And, and Marie looked at me, and I looked at Marie, and we both kind of went, giggle, giggle, giggle. We don't know if we can do that first. <laughs> and she, she got very, you know, kind of up in arms, and she said, well, you're certainly not the women I thought you were. And so we compromised by laying on the floor on either side of her bed and each having an orgasm with the vibrators that she was gifting us. And then... We got in bed with her and used both vibrators on her. Oh, I love you, Marie. I love you, Fern. Gosh, that's one of the most difficult things of getting older is getting older and going on with memories of people who aren't in their bodies anymore. Oh, I know. That's I, I can't even imagine, like, having lifelong friends like that and lovers, you know, and... Yeah, I'm going to be there someday, but... <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you're not uh, you get there. But I I just want yeah. to say that I had a great time talking to Sherry, and I hung up, and I just started weeping because I miss Marie and I miss Fern. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But, it, you know, it's wonderful tears. It's that tears of like, wow, uh, this is what life is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's what you're talking about. With without that openness, without being able to feel that grief, you can't really connect. You can't really have a, the the sexual pleasure that you deserve. And that's what Sherry was talking about: finding buried pleasures, not treasures, pleasures. So, if you weren't there last night, and I know there were uh, over a hundred women who were, not too late. You can still connect in with that. Great questions too. And uh, speaking of questions, are there any questions tonight? Yes, we have a few people with their hands raised. If you have a question for Susan, please make sure to press 1 to speak with her, and we can go to the first caller in the 778 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hey, 
I'm so happy to finally get to talk to you. I usually don't get through because I live somewhere without a phone connection. So this is so great. Um, Welcome. I wanted to ask, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, right now I'm going through a, a really huge life transition. Um, all good things, but kind of scary things, moving and moving my businesses and selling my businesses. And I've noticed through listening to you that you have a really amazing, deep sense of confidence. And I feel like I have confidence, but I have a really hard time expressing that and having a strong conviction, especially with negotiations and knowing my value. And I'm wondering if you have any tips on how to get that and get that across to people. Well, one of the main things that I have noticed is that women are so caring and considerate that when they come to a negotiation, they Mm -hmm. have already negotiated in their mind. (laughs) True. (laughs) And they've said, oh, well, this other person needs this, and so I'll only ask for this. And so you start not even expressing what it is that you really want. And so my first piece of advice is, What is it that you really want? And then add on to that and make that your first opening move. I want the sun and the moon and all the stars. And then the person you're negotiating with says, well, I don't know, maybe the moon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you come saying, I'll take a tenth of the moon, there's nowhere to go in negotiation but to give up. That's what negotiation is about, is that you keep giving up little bits until you find a place where you've both given up enough that you can agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ask for it all. Ask for more than you deserve. Mm-hmm. Ask for more than you think you could ever possibly get. And every once in a while, the universe will surprise you, and the person you're negotiating with will say, that sounds reasonable, I'll give it to you. <laughs> That's true. And how do, you, how do you like dealing most with big transitions and, like, find? I mean, I find, honestly, I lean on alcohol as a kind of, to relax me, but I find it actually makes it worse. It's like, it makes me feel more anxious. It does, it does actually make it worse because it kind of, you know, <laughs> Your liver is where you live. And when you're making big living changes, your liver needs to really be there for you, and alcohol kicks it. Mm-hmm. So how can we deal with anxiety? I uh, listened to a call-in show with Pema Chodron, the uh, wonderful Buddhist monk, and she was talking about her book, When Things Fall Apart, and how her mm-hmm. publisher desperately did not want her to call it that. Her publisher mm-hmm. said, nobody is going to buy a book called When Things Fall Apart. And Pema said, mm-hmm, <laughs> yes, they will. So she, she talked quite a lot about um, a, a theme that has seemed to be growing stronger and stronger, which is it's not self-care, it's caring for ourselves Mm. and in so far as we care we deserve to care for ourselves 
And she says, what happens is we care for everybody else, and then we say, okay, time to do some self-care. And that self-care is half a bottle of wine or a bubble bath or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, right? And, and then you say, okay, I took care of myself, and then you go back to whatever it was you were doing. And, and really, isn't caring something we do all the time? So when you really know that you deserve care, you negotiate better and you care for yourself all the time. One of the ways that I talk about this, and it's kind of a joke, but I don't mean it in a joking way, is it's very important every day to do something totally meaningless. (laughs) What do you mean? Start a jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) color with a child go for a walk and get lost Mm -hmm. I like that do something that has no meaning to free yourself from the chains of everything having to have a meaning (laughs) I think that that's something that will really benefit me <laughs> there was a wonderful woman in in the community and Woodstock of course is an arts community and in order to free herself from the chains that she had imposed upon her art she had once a month a bad art day and anyone could come so long as they agreed to only make bad art <laughs> it's a, it's an, in a way it's a gestalt technique where you take something and you flip it and by doing the opposite you find something very sweet mm. that's very that's that's really nice um yeah. can i ask one more question about my uh a, a help issue or sure. do you have time Okay, I injured my wrist quite a while ago, and I use my hands for my work. And I find that sometimes I get um, carpal tunnel-like symptoms. I'm wondering what you would recommend other than massage, which is something that I do. Every time I have had a musculoskeletal injury, and those usually involve tendons and ligaments and fascia as well, let's remind ourselves, yes. I have found my biggest ally is comfrey. And I okay. do not hesitate to really lay the comfrey on myself. When I broke my wrist, I soaked my wrist in comfrey infusion. I drank comfrey infusion. I took the leaves from the infusion and put them in a kitchen towel and rolled it up so it wouldn't all fall out and froze it and applied it as a frozen compress. Wow. I I drank at least two cups of comfrey infusion every day for close to three months. Okay. Does that also work well with scar tissue issues? The plant that is most valued in terms of scar tissue is calendula. Okay. I but have what, I, what I have seen is 
because the first person way back when I was like 17 who was dealing with the cesarean scar, and this was so long ago that cesarean scars ran from your pubic bone up to your navel, and they were very ugly. They didn't do the little bikini that they do now. And she was putting vitamin E on it. And so for a long time, I thought it was the vitamin E. And then somebody said, oh, no, you know, if you put this oil on it, it was some plant oil. And I began to see that the common theme was if you will lubricate the scar tissue with whatever you have, coconut oil, you know, a plant infused in oil, um, vitamin E, which is oily, whatever you have, that you can keep that scar tissue really well lubricated and that you envision it not having to protect you, that it can soften. Okay. Violet honey is also an incredible um, application. It's called a decutient, and it breaks up fibrous tissues in the body. And, of course... Does that also work, like, with internal scar tissue or just external scar tissue? No. Internal as well. Right. And we can't leave this discussion without a bow and a thank you to castor oil. And I have seen castor oil packs dissolve, not surface, but not really deep, like you can feel the scar tissue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not scar that you can see. And I've seen castor oil literally, literally dissolve it in 36 hours. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to buy a yeah. liter of that. So you don't even need a liter. You know, the castor oil is usually sold in drugstores as a baby's laxative. So it's going to be in the baby section, and there's usually a four-ounce bottle. That's plenty. Okay. Amazing. Because to reuse it, you saturate a piece of flannel with the castor oil, and okay. then you kind of roll that up, and you cover it really with foil and get it warm. You don't want to burn yourself, but you get it warm and you put that warm castor oil pack on. Unwrap it from the foil. Somebody said, well, the foil is really uncomfortable. I'm like, the foil is just there. You're heating it. Take it out of the foil and put the flannel with the castor oil infused into it on whatever that scar tissue is. Warning, castor oil is sticky and gooey and gets on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get in bed with your nice satin sheets and the castor oil pack. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, hey. Susan. You're the best. You're, I listen to you. You're so every welcome. Day. And if, if you if you find something that works really great, call back and tell us, hey, I use this and this is what happened to my scar, okay? I will. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for taking my call. Susan, I had a question about growing my own herbs. Um, I think I live in Mount Tremper, and I have a a little piece of of dirt I can use that my landlord will allow me to use. Um, And I thought maybe, I I know we have red clover in the lawn, but I wanted to ask your opinion if I could cultivate that and maybe stinging nettle. Is that something you think that I'm capable of doing? You certainly are. Good, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed with plants. (laughs) You could definitely do that. There's nothing in your way of doing that. However, 
there's a few things that we want to consider. Both red clover and stinging nettle grow wild in our area profusely and abundantly. Mm. And so what I encourage people to do is to harvest from the wild. Both of these are perennial plants. Harvesting the red clover is only going to make it bloom more. Harvesting the nettle, especially because we harvest it young, is only going to make it grow more. You're not going to harm either of these plants by harvesting. There couldn't even be such a thing as over-harvesting unless you rip them out of the ground by the roots, which, of course, you're not going to do because you're harvesting the aerial parts, the above parts. And use that piece of dirt you have to grow something that doesn't grow wild here. If it's a place where you're going to be staying, plant something like Shisandra. Shisandra and wild yam grow great in, you know, and Vitex also grows great in cold climates. We think of them as kind of exotic herbs, but wow, imagine if you had a Vitex bush and it's perennial. Or a Shisandra vine and it's perennial. Or wild yam. I love my wild yam vine. Now, those who really know about the Northeast will say, hey, wild, you can find wild yam. You can. But mm-hmm. it's not very profusely, and it is a plant where you're going to dig up the root. Right. Okay. So there are so many places now, gosh, a long time ago, maybe 40 years ago, somebody sent me a joke which was an ad for weed seeds. And it wasn't a real ad. It was a joke. But, you know, now there are many businesses selling weed seeds. Because well, somebody people said, want to grow the weed. Somebody yeah. said in the health food store to me, and, I mean, I'm kind of ignorant about this. I love my herbal infusions, thanks to you. But I, I never thought about growing them until recently. And someone said, oh, that, if you think that red clover is expensive or that nettle is expensive, just go to the native nursery and buy some. And I thought, that's kind of weird. So I'm so glad I asked you, even though I feel a little dumb. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the other thing, too, is how wonderful that the native nursery has these things available. It fills my heart with joy. But if you wanted to grow nettle, First of mm-hmm. all, you have to ask yourself, do I have a place where nettle would want to be? I nettle think. likes rich, wet soil. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of places in Mount Trimper that are kind of gravelly and sandy because there's a big yes. river there. Yep. And and nettle wouldn't necessarily like that. You know, honestly, Susan, I've been looking around for it, but it's only it's only come to me recent, like in the last year or so, and I haven't been able to find it where I tramp around, you know. So maybe I'm just not quite friends with it yet, so I don't. Well, what I'm rec- saying is, the area that you're living is a bit sandy and gravelly for nettle. So I probably I'm not seeing it. Come a little more down into the valley, into okay. the. Okay come down into the richer soils, the richer, right. wetter soils. There you will find lots and lots and lots of metal. Richer and wetter soil. Okay, great. I, I will right. do that, and then I'll just... So when, you, so when you're growing plants, what you're trying to do is to replicate what they would be like in the wild, what, mm-hmm. the, what kind of situation they want. 
And, mm-hmm. of, of course, an elder tree is a great thing to grow. I tried to go grow an elder tree, and I put it in a situation that was too shady for it. And it mm. just said, I'm sorry, I'm simply not going to do this. So, uh-huh. so start to learn about the plants that you're interested in. I am very fond of the native plants nursery. I'm so glad that they're there. And I'm also very fond of Richter's, which is all the way up in Canada. And they have just about every herb you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and I bought my Shisandra plant from Logies, um, okay. which purchased a lot of rare plants. Um, I know that Johnny's Selected Seeds has a huge selection of herb seeds that you can get through them. And one of the annual plants that I always like to see people grow is shiso. And shiso is mint family. It's a generalist. It's something that anybody can grow anywhere, especially in the Northeast, because the deer won't eat it. Oh, that's good. That's right. That's (laughs) special. The deer won't eat it. You toss out some shiso seeds, they're going to grow, get the purple, flat leaf kind of shiso. You don't want the curly leaf and you don't want the green. You want the purple, flat leaf. It's got the best taste. I like it best for medicine, too. And so long as you let that shiso flower and seed, one package of seed will do you for the next 100 years because it's a self-seeder. Wow. Okay, that sounds wonderful. You could Could you use it, like, as a border, and then maybe they wouldn't get in where they want to eat something? No. Because they just walk past it and say, we won't eat you, but we'll eat that other delicious thing. Of course. What? <laughs> that was silly. Yes. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, as always, Susan. That's a lot of good ideas. I don't know why I was trying to just replicate what I needed. I can put something in there that will actually grow. Um, yes, find something that really suits where you are. And get something, you know, that you can say, wow, I have, you know, this great plant. And sometimes I'll grow things that if I was willing to, like, travel a little, um, like mm-hmm. Ella Campaign. Ella Campaign grows really profusely 45 minutes north of me. Oh. Right? And I just, it's, you know, ugh. So I've got some Ella Campaign Roots from a friend, and I put them in some pots, so I have, you know, some captive Ella campaign. So I don't always have to make that journey to where it is. There's lots of reasons for growing plants, and they're all good reasons. Enjoy the spring. Enjoy growing things. Green blessings. Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings to you, and thank you, Rebecca, also. Bye. Thank you. Excuse me. Um, the next caller is coming from the 209 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi, this is Julie calling you. Um, I have a question. I'm the one that called in a few weeks ago about I had a, a bilateral um, ovarian cyst. Yes. And so in having my second ultrasound six months later, um, the doctor's not concerned about them, but he is concerned about I have um, uterine endometrial hyperplasia. And um, 
29 millimeters in thickness at the level of the corpus of the uterus. And he would like to go in with a, a scope and look at it and possibly take a biopsy. And I'm, I'm not really sure. I want. I've, I got the book down there, and I've been reading through it. And it seems like it's not really something I really need to worry about. The hyperplasia. In general, it is not something that you need to worry about. What the doctor is doing, and it's what you're paying the doctor to do, is being as conservative as possible. What the doctor is also doing, and you're not paying the doctor to do this, is making sure that if you do have cancer, that you don't turn around and say, you should have found it and sue. Correct. Okay. Okay? So a uterine biopsy is not very invasive. It's done with a small suction device. It is done in the office. Um, Depending on the practitioner, they may offer um, a numbing agent. Um, Would it be similar to how you have to decide decide for yourself? It's not a really painful procedure. There is some discomfort, certainly. And a uterine biopsy will be able to determine whether or not there's cancer. If, okay. if you have any unease about that, if you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, do I have uterine cancer? Then have the biopsy. If you're not going to wake up in the middle of the night, if you're going to go to sleep and say, I don't have uterine cancer, I am just fine, then don't have the biopsy. Okay. Because that's the question the biopsy can answer. Now, remember that the definition of health in the scientific tradition is the absence of disease, and since we can never prove the absence, all the doctor can say is this biopsy didn't find cancer. Okay. So it's not an absolute guarantee. There certainly, um, my experience has been that medicinal mushrooms can be very useful to anyone in a situation where tissues seem to be growing too fast, especially mushroom combinations like Five Defenders or My Community. Five Defenders is from real mushrooms, and My Community is from Paul Stamets. And they are blends of mushrooms because although I am a simpler and I love my herbs as simples, the mushrooms, it has been shown over and over again, really work best as teams. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then you might also ask yourself and ask your body, um, what's going on here? Okay. And it, it, the answer is not necessarily going to be in medical terminology. 
and you okay, won't necessarily get, get an answer. Report. Right. You won't necessarily get an answer the first time you ask. Okay. So, you know, what's going on here? What do I need to know? What are you drawing my attention to? Um, those kinds of rather open-ended questions and be willing to accept an ambiguous answer. Be willing to accept a dream, um, an omen, a, a hunch, a, a sense. So okay. sometimes when people say, what's going on here? That body part says, I'm very annoyed with you. Okay. And sometimes it says, I'm very annoyed with what's going on out there. Okay. And, and sometimes it's not that clear at all. I find that the more we practice this, the more often we ask, the easier it is to communicate, just like in any relationship, right? And this goes along with our theme for the evening, which is caring for yourself is something we do every day. We don't wait until an ultrasound says we have hyperplasia to say, hey, body, is there something you want to tell me? Okay. Right, on a regular basis. On a regular basis, we say, I'm listening. If you need to alert me to okay. something, I'm listening so that so that we don't have to wait for the ultrasound, which already feels like we've been taken apart. When uh-huh. your body when your body is saying this is going on, my belief is that we're starting from wholeness. When an ultrasound okay. said says this is going on, my belief is that we have already been fractured and we're more likely to treat our uterus as though it was something other than ourselves. Right. Okay. And And I've heard my my, my definition of health, the wise woman definition of health is wholeness. Nourishing wholeness. So I'm always looking for how can we be more whole? Where do we where do we start from to be more whole? I hope this is yeah. Been I see in the, the nourish the nourish and tonify section is um, the red clover infusion, two quarts a week, miso, cooked flaxseed. And the red clover clover infusion is the only one I don't care the taste of. Add add a pinch of your favorite mint, peppermint, spearmint, lavender, lemon balm, whatever your favorite mint is, and I mean literally a pinch, the amount you can pinch between your thumb and forefinger. Tiniest bit, and it'll kind of fool your nose. I use after dinner mint, also called chocolate mint, which is super strong mint, and just a pinch in the red clover. And then in comfrey, which also has similar astringent problems in the mouth, we use one stalk of two leaves and one flower of Monarda didyma, which is Oswego tea or red bee palm. Red bee palm? Red bee balm. Monarda didyma. The wild bee balm, Monarda fistulosa, is purple, 
quite a bit smaller, and it has a lot of oregano oil in it. And you put that in your infusion, you're going to think you're drinking pizza. The red bee balm <laughs> has much more of a fruity taste to it. It does not have very much oregano oil okay. at all. The cultivars, if you go out to a, to a garden center this spring and say, I want to buy bee balm, they will offer you all kinds of colors of bee balm, except for the true red. All of those colors are very high in oregano oil. Medicinally, the higher in oregano oil ones are considered more medicinal because that volatile oil has a lot of effects in the body. But for just drinking just a little taste in the infusion, I really like the Monarda Didyma, also known as Oswego tea. Oswego the- after the after the native group O S E O O Oswego O S W E G O Oswego. They were one of the great. They are one of the great peaceful nations. Yeah, there's a town named that up in Oregon. So it must be yeah. named after the native, yeah. Well, they're how is the, the they're native to the northeast? Yeah. How would the evening primrose oil help? Is that like a progesterone type thing? Because you also have that in the book down there. Evening primrose yes, oil. Yes, because I go through all possible things from do nothing to collect information, to engage the energy. I noticed that you hadn't mentioned any of the ways that you were engaging the energy. I find that very important. Nourish and tonify. Use drugs, and evening primrose oil would be a drug, and then break and enter. So it's what I'm now calling the complementary integrated medical revolution because it gives you the whole scan of what's possible. And, of course, I always suggest that people begin at the beginning, begin with serenity medicine, begin at step zero. And add on or move on to each step at your time limit. So you might say, in this instance, I feel very safe and comfortable with what's going on in my uterus, I'm going to work with serenity medicine for a month. And I'm going to use my internal proprioception to sense whether or not there's been a change. And if at the end of that month I feel that there's been a change, I will continue on and or add on collecting information. Now, we're we're already collecting information, but this would kind of amp up are collecting direct information from our body as well as any other ways of collecting information that we might want to. And again, we would set a time limit. We're not going to do this forever. We're going to do only a certain amount and then go on to or add on energy medicine because we've now made ourselves more available to that energy medicine, to that mind medicine, to that medicine of belief that we know that we know that we are thinking beings and yet it's hard for us to really believe how much our body follows what our mind conceives the experiment that so convinced me of this was a pretty standard kind of experiment where people looked at a computer screen and various symbols went by on the computer screen and 
some of those symbols were associated with a mild shock. They would get a mild shock when they saw this particular symbol. And some of the symbols were associated with a more moderate shock. It was a little bit more. And one of the symbols was associated with a really strong shock. And they just came into the lab and, you know, looked for whatever length of time it was, these symbols, and got shocked. And even the strong shock, you know, we're not talking horrible pain here. And they did that, I think, for seven to ten days. And on the last day, and, of course, they were recording what their body's response was. I'm sure they looked like, you know, robots with all the wires they had attached to them. On the last day, they showed them the same symbols, but they didn't actually shock them, but their bodies responded as though they were being shocked. Oh, wow. Hmm. They had, they had literally trained themselves to respond to certain symbols as though those symbols carried that shock. When we are told something by a test, like a sonogram or a CAT scan or an MRI, it somehow becomes more real than we are. It's not only outside us. We're not only fractured, but, but we are fractured in a way that diminishes us and gives more credence to the part that's outside us. And this is what belief medicine, mind medicine, energy medicine does. It gives us the opportunity to change our thoughts and allow our body to follow along. Okay, good. And then, sure, nourish and tonify. And at that point, are you where you want to be? Because step zero, step one, step two, and step three, serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, and lifestyle medicine, they build health. We can do those four medicines every day of our lives and be abundantly well. There's a gap. And as soon as we step over that gap into steps four, five, and six, we have left health behind. There are steps four, five, and six which I call alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine. And they are there to save our lives and hooray for them. If we confuse them, however, with making us healthy, then we are not going to get the results we want. And here it's especially important to have time limits. If you're going to use evening primrose oil, I would hope it had been because nothing else worked for you and that you would set and that you would set a time limit for how long you were going to work with it. Okay. Because once would we go over the gap, we want shorter time limits, and we want to keep our passage open to get back on the other side. We don't want to become dependent right. on a supplement or a drug or on a break-and-enter intervention. Right. Well, I do use Estrace Cream twice a week. Do you think that I I kind of feel like maybe that's contributing to it. A recent scientific study found that any oil was as effective as estrace. Okay. Or or as the study put it, oils non inferior to estrace. 
<laughs> right, kind of a weird okay. way to put like, it, but all right, we get yeah. we get with it. So, like oil. oil. Olive oil, chickweed oil. oil. And, okay. of course, Dolores La Chapelle, the mountaineer's favorite, which is a capsule of acidophilus powder inserted well up in the vagina. When that melts, be sure you're wearing some underwear because you're going to drool. What what was that one? Is that the a capsule, a gelatin capsule of acidophilus powder? Yeah, acidophilus. Okay. Inserted well up into the vagina. If you can get all the way up to the cervix, all the better. And be okay. sure you're wearing some underwear because once that gets going, <laughs> you start drooling. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got it. Thank you very right. much, and I will. I'll welcome and hey, call back in a couple of months and tell us what's going on, okay? Oh, oh, I will. I have tons more questions for you. Okay, Great. thank you very much. I appreciate Great your buddy. time. Bye. Good night. Bye bye. The next caller is coming from the five one three area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, I, I was in a car wreck about two and a half years ago, and uh, I, I have pain and a lump, and I did get a CAT scan last week, and uh, they said it was a hematoma, and then it was it moved, and it hurts more in the spot where it was, like right before my collarbone, and uh, but they said there's nothing they could do. It's just like a sternum uh, ligaments or something pulled from my rib cage to my sternum, um, and I, I there, was wondering. There, was... there are therapists, physical therapists, who do work with connective tissue, especially fascia. The woman who really started the whole idea, at least in the United States, about working with fascia was Ida Rolf. And there is a technique called rolfing. It is painful, but it really changes connective tissue that has been tightened up by traumatic injury. At one point, I stepped off a ladder. It wasn't looking down. Somebody had left something at the base of the ladder. And when my foot came down, it twisted over, landing all of my weight on the small, long bone of my toe. Not the toe itself, but the long bone that goes back toward the ankle. And I heard it snap and felt horrible pain. And months later, I was still wearing an ace bandage, and I was at a party. And this woman came to me, and she said, what's going on with your ankle? And I said, da 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 And she said, get that ace bandage off. She said, this is, this is totally healed. The only problem here is that the fascia is all twisted and tightened up. And she went, whoop, whoop, whoop. And I went, oh, ah, ee. And she said, there, now it's fine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is. Uh, I, uh, Where, okay. Is the hematoma visible? Yeah, it's right on my breastplate, and it was just to the left well, of there. And I was this, up on this, the, is, this is one use of modern-day leeches. Modern day leeches. Leeches, leeches. You know that you remember the 
Yeah. Catherine, Catherine Hepburn and the leeches. <laughs> leeches yeah. are fresh water invertebrates which clamp onto you and suck your blood. And so you take a leech and you put it on a hematoma and it sucks the blood out of the hematoma. Okay. I, uh, I, I started drinking your infusions and the comfrey of the, the solids of that. I was trying to use that and it helped a little bit. I only did it for about three days because it was hard. I was trying to do it on my lunch break at work and stain my shirt. <laughs> I, it, I was going to say, uh-oh, you got a stained shirt. Right. <laughs> I, I, I have shirts stained by comfrey too. It's a real stainer all right. Uh, all it's you know it's that astringency we were talking about, good good stuff in there. But it it, it indelible stains. Lots of plants that make indelible so stains. So I try to stick with doing that more. Also, you think? Yeah. So you know, my suggestion is do the comfrey at home rather than at work. And for for the work day, um, if you want to put something on it, put some oil on it. Or interestingly enough, if you wet your skin and put something, a honey on it, like violet honey, which we were talking about, which is very discutient and dissolving, the the water actually helps the honey kind of go into the skin. And you would think, oh, I'm going to be like a, a ball, you know, an attractor to be, and the clothes will stick to me. But no, usually not. The honey just goes right in and does its wonders. Of course, I'm not okay. using huge gobs of it, right? I'm just wetting the skin and rubbing a little bit of honey in that area, you, if you've been listening to the show tonight, and I know everybody has an opportunity to do that, we also talked about the dissolving power of castor oil. Okay. So there's lots of different things that are possible to try, but I get a very strong sense that you need to find someone who does work with fascia because it's, just, it's not something you can do yourself. Okay. Some somebody else has to has to do that, right? Has to really. The fascia has what what she explained to me was that the fascia has healed in a shortened and tightened state, and it will cause chronic pain because the muscles and the other tissues can't come back to their full healthy state. And she said what she did, and it's what it felt like, was she tore the fascia. Okay. And then it had then it had to heal in a healthier way, because when it had healed in that contracted state, it was because the muscle and the other tissues had been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And now that they were healthier, the fascia would then fascia is a very thin tissue like saran wrap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's, so yeah. what I'm saying, you know, it's not like people. It's not like you're bleeding or you're being ripped or rended, you know. It it's, it can be painful, but it's not. You need an opioid to deal with the pain. It's which in the no. realm of woo, because it's short and it's gone, and then suddenly that pain that has been there for so long is gone through. Wow, was it? Yeah. And as I said, it doesn't have to be rolling. There's a lot of little side shoots that have grown from that. And you know that we're all connected, so put out the word that you want somebody who does work with uh, fascia. And I'm sure that very soon someone will be right there. 
well, I'll give it a try. I mean, I've, I've, since they're not willing to, they say there's nothing they can do for me, you know, and uh, I'm sorry I went right into talking, but I'm, I'm thankful I got to speak with you. I've been listening to your program for about a year now, and I uh, appreciate you giving me some uh, advice. It's a really important question, and I'm so glad that you called and asked the question. And and please know that you may be asking for yourself, and that's wonderful that you're doing that, but that many, many people are benefiting. So you are giving a gift to many people by asking a question. Thank you. Thank you. Green blessing. Green. Good night. We don't have any callers with their hands raised at the moment, but if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to ask, and we'll go to an email question. Oh, I'm always so this one, there's questions. It means everything is right with the world. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe. <No>. Um, <laughs> all right. This woman did uh, send in some x-rays, but it's some pictures of her spine that um, looks like she has some scoliosis. So she says, hello, Susan. This is a very challenging and vulnerable for me to share, but also very necessary. I am calling on support on my healing journey. Below are recent x-rays of my spine that I submitted to my insurance to make an appeal that massage therapy and other forms of body work are necessary in treating the chronic chronic pain I experience. I just got word that my claim has been denied even after providing the past 13 years of medical documentation. Very few people know the extent to which my spinal condition causes me severe chronic pain, a challenge with loving and accepting my body, and fear of limited mobility as I age, along with a host of other insecurities. Also, I have been dealing with gastrointestinal problems for the past year, which has put me in a place where I cannot work in the ways I have before. My body is shutting down. I began a SIBO and parasite cleanse a few days ago, and the detox is working my body. I am experiencing extreme joint pain and inflammation, which makes my pain from my back condition even worse. I need to move past my limitations and asking for support. I need to face some shame I am holding embarrassment, and I know I am worthy of care. That is beyond the system of capitalism. I am not a failure for not fitting into a broken system. I am very open for ideas. I am sure there is so much more that could support me that I am unaware of. I am a bit exhausted of constant research. I have been eating a vegan diet for a few years now that includes protein powders, lots of raw and cooked foods, and juices and green smoothies. There is a lot being cleared from my emotional and energetic bodies as I do this deep physical cleanse. Thank you for witnessing me in making this request. I'm not even sure that I have to answer that. I, I strongly suspect that the vast majority of people listening are imagining me tearing at my hair, beating at my breast, screaming at the top of my lungs. Um, what can we say? The woman is doing everything wrong. And her body is telling her. What is, what is the first thing she says? My body is shutting down. 
Her body is saying, why do you hate me so? Why are you putting these poisonous protein powders in me? Why are you forcing me to be a vegan? I was designed to be an omnivore. Why are you making me eat raw food which shortens lifespan by 50%? Why do you hate me so that you think I'm dirty and toxic and have to be cleansed? Hmm. We hear you. We hear you, this woman's body. How can we help this woman hear you? You're shutting down. She's hurting you by cleansing. She's hurting you by detoxifying. She's hurting you with her diet. I hear you. She's hurting you. And at the same time, she's telling herself that she's loving you. It's the classic abusive relationship. I love you so much that I'm going to smack you right in the nose. I love you so much I'm going to give you a black eye. At one time in my life, for a brief period, I did, let's call it some social work. And I did this work in a community where this was truly the sign of love. That women would in this community would say, well, that's quite the shiner you have. He must love you a lot. My man loves me more. He threw me down the stairs and broke my arm. When hurting ourselves becomes the way that we say, I'm okay and I love myself, things get very confusing. Somebody classically once said to me, well, you know, Susan, in the wise woman tradition, you could just do anything. You say, you know, eat whatever you want. Listen to your body. Well, what if my body says, go out and eat a cocaine, hot fudge, vodka, Sunday? And I said, if you are really listening to your body, you would only do it once. Just like the woman who called before and said, I'm dealing with my stress by drinking and it doesn't really deal with my stress and it doesn't make me feel good. Your body will tell you whether you're making it feel good or not. And if what's happening is that your body feels terrible and shutting down on you, then guess what? You're not giving your body what it wants. This woman needs to go out and eat a steak. She needs to have seven orgasms a week. She needs to give it up that she's the victim. I'm sorry. I know that sounds really cruel. But I think that you have challenged yourself in this way, haven't you, Rebecca? What do you mean? I've challenged myself. Finding the places where you are a victim and challenging yourself to not act the victim role. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, I can pick it up really um, now that I've gone through it. I can see, you know, like when other people are in that that place of victim too. So yeah, I can see what you're saying with her and. Um, 
but I mean, yeah, it's just I I can feel where she where she's at, and I I, I can see, and you know, it's like kind of it's like that. It's really right. I can, this she's is, really this in a is one of the places. Situation. This is one of the places where people do not find me compassionate because I don't fall for the take care of the victim thing. I say, stand mm-hmm. up, you're not the victim. And it mm-hmm. sounds harsh and cruel. But in fact, it's enabling the alcoholic when you enable the victim. Yeah. And again, yeah. And again my classic story there is I'm telling my favorite victim story about how I, as a wee tothook, didn't even walk yet. Right? I was so young, I was merely crawling, and I crawled up to a dog and threw my arms around it, and it bit me in the head, and I had to have 37 stitches and a month's worth of rabies shots in my belly. Oh, poor little baby Susan. I tell you, it is an A number one victim story. Everybody buys into it. And I'm telling this story when I'm working with Jean Houston, and Jean is walking by, and she stops and she backs up and she says did I ever tell you what a disgusting victim story that is she said let's see your goddess type is um, Artemis Artemis sent her hound to claim you when you were a mere babe try that on as a power story and drop the victim yeah, yeah, I think there's this whole, like, kind of, like, growing up that you have to do, like, okay, you know, like, I am responsible here for where I am, and I have to make the choices to care for myself, and what does that take, and, yeah, I mean, it facilitates a lot of change, so it's a good place to be in, actually, to, once you see that, if you're willing to see it. If you're willing to, and it's a difficult place to see. It, this is one of the places where we really need a teacher, where I really needed Jean to stop back up and look at me and go, victim story. And I'm like, oh, because I mm-hmm. didn't think of it as a victim story. Of course it is, but I didn't think of it that way. And so, you know, wham, say, you were chosen. You were chosen mm-hmm. by Artemis. When, when you were eight months old, for goodness sakes. Look at the power in that. Story medicine is a very important medicine. And that's not to say I didn't get bitten by a dog and have 37 stitches and have a a scar in my scalp. It's true. But how much better for me to think of it as being chosen instead of being a victim? Can we keep talking or are there people with their hand raised? Um, nobody has their hand raised at this point. Okay. So I want to revisit a, a story um, where I took um, a long Uber ride with a man um, who said, do you notice that I'm wearing these compression sleeves? And I said, well, yes, actually, I, I do. And he said, um, I'm a truck driver. And he went into great detail about, you know, driving a truck. And but the, the short story is that he went – to sleep in his truck. There's a bed in his truck. And the truck, there was an electrical short, and the truck burst into flame. And he was burned over a large area of his body. And he said, I'm driving as an Uber driver because I don't want to spend my life chasing insurance. Mm. 
And I was very moved by that. Here was a man who had literally saved his own life. Fortunately, he had left the the driver's side window open, and he was awakened by the heat and the sound, and he was able to dive through the window. He broke some bones diving through the window. Those trucks are high, but he was able to get out of the out of the truck and to roll away from that. And wow. stench burns all over his face, his arms, his hands. Goodness only knows what else. And instead of playing the victim card and waiting for the insurance to pay off, he was out driving for Uber because he loves to drive. And because he Hmm. has a mission, which is to tell everybody, tell the people you love that you love them, you don't know that there's going to be a tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. By his choosing not to be a victim, look at how much he has to give everybody. That's not to say he doesn't hurt. That's not to say that he is not going to be scarred. That's not to say it didn't happen. But we don't have to be the victim of it. We don't have to say, my insurance denied my claim and act like that's the only thing to do. Hey, try again. Sure, ask. But don't make it the keystone of your life. Because there are many other things from serenity medicine to story medicine to mind medicine to lifestyle medicine that can make us abundantly well. Even if we've been burned, even if we have scoliosis, even if we have cancer, even if we have multiple sclerosis, even if we have a chronic degenerative disease, even if we have an autoimmune disease. This is what I love about the wise woman tradition. You don't have to be clean and perfect and without fault in order to be well. We can start being well right here, right now, just the way we are. It's interesting. I She's like the, I've over the last week, because I've been kind of in like this little vegan debate thing, um, <laughs> I've heard of several of women that are in like the vegan raw food having that SIBO, the small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that's something that's like super common with them too. And and then because they're in that state of mind, they're all doing like these cleanses and detoxing for it. And it's just really interesting. I don't actually think that there's really such a thing as self-abuse because I spend a lot of time in nature and I've never seen anything in nature abuse itself. But that's about the closest that we come to. Mm-hmm. To pay so little attention to the corpus to the body, to the being that we are. Hmm. And, uh, and, of course, as a plant woman, uh, my whole take on the on that is, oh, these are people who don't think that plants are sentient? Oh, these are people who think plants don't have feelings? Oh, these are people who think, wow, you get a moral pass if you kill plants? No. 
sorry, there are no moral passes here. Everything on this planet eats something else. And what are the plants eating, really? I mean, they're eating, like, decayed, like, and organic, on organic farms. It's not just the manure, but, like, when I worked on organic farms, we were, like, putting blood meal and bone meal and, like, all of these other things. And it's, like, I always ask the vegans, do you know how those animals are raised and how they're treated? And it's this is your fighting for this, like, they get so worked up about it, you know? It's, like... Well, I actually say that if you're vegan, you can't eat organic food because it's been grown with animal products. You have to eat the chemical mm-hmm. food. Then you know there's no animal involved. Yeah. And if we're going to be if we're going to be serious about this, if we're going to actually, you know, say that only things like us with eyes are sentient, and that the rest of life is somehow beneath us, which obviously I don't agree with. I think every single bit of it is sacred. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, somebody did queue up with a question, so would you like to move on now? Let's give it, let's give it a try. Okay. The next caller is coming from the 816 area code. Hello? Hello. This is pleasant not having to feel like I have to cram four answers in 15 minutes. <laughs> I, I just want to say I love listening to you and learning from you. So thank you so much for being there. You're welcome. I, have, and I just recently sort of found out about you. But I am calling because I read that you could use comfrey to swish around in your mouth to, like, a cavity in your mouth and um, I was confused about what I was read and I, I wondered if you knew anything about that. So tell me, what is a cavity? A little decay in your tooth. Yes, the tooth is sensitive tissue, nerve-filled tissue covered by a hard enamel coat. When acids and bacteria in the mouth erode the enamel, then the bacteria that are normally present in the mouth get into the pulp of the tooth, the living tissue of the tooth, and begin to eat it. And that is what's called decay, and that's a cavity. So far, what we know about cavities is if left unchecked, the decay will spread throughout the tooth. It will eventually get all the way down into the root of the tooth. It will cause a horrible toothache. It may even kill the person, and it will either Mm. rot out or it will have to be pulled. If we do not want that to happen then once a cavity has started and the decay is there, then we use a small drill. And we drill into the tooth and we drill out all of the decayed part of the tooth. Just as we would if we were, say, mending um, a, a garment that had gotten something spilled on it or that had um, gotten moldy. 
we would yeah. want to cut out that moldy patch, right? Because otherwise yeah. it would otherwise it would spread. So that's what we do nowadays. You know, even a century ago or 125 years ago, the vast majority of people over the age of 40 had no teeth at all because there wasn't a way to drill and to fill a cavity. And that's what's done. Once all that decay is drilled out, then you got a hole in your tooth. And that hole gets filled with something. Right. The two primary things that are used are plastic. They take a, uh, a, a kind of um, plastic that is hardened by a little um, laser light. And they stuff it in your tooth and then they shine that little laser light on it and it gets as hard as the tooth. It is, however, plastic. And the other choice is amalgam. And an amalgam is a mix of minerals, including a small amount of mercury, which keeps the metals in a fluid enough state to withstand the stress of your chewing. No guidelines of any kind are required in terms of placing an amalgam filling. I strongly prefer them because they last for 50 years, whereas plastic fillings often have to be replaced in 15 to 20 years. And and to remove amalgam fillings, which some people claim are poisonous because of the mercury, there is a book of rules of more than 100 pages. And I have known several people to irreversibly ruin their health by having their so-called mercury fillings removed. Right. So I, I know it, I know it's a you know it's not the, the the party line thing, but my line after looking into it is that I would much rather chew on a, a nice bit of mineral, which is much more part of me and part of this planet, than on a piece of plastic, and because I just know that plastic does me no good. I don't drink out of it. I don't store my food in it. I really go out of my way to avoid it. I take cloth bags to the grocery store. Why would I want to hide in my mouth in such a place where I'm constantly swallowing that plastic, right? There's no way around it. I agree. I agree. I am not a plastic person. Well, I didn't think I... I didn't think what I was reading about twisting your mouth with comfrey was probably possible, but... I have a lot to learn, so I had an open mind, and I just wanted to know about that. But um, can I ask another question? Yes, we still have 10 minutes. Okay, then. Um, since I'm new to these infusions, I've, I'm pretty dedicated. We've been doing it since January. My husband and I have been doing it together. But it seems like when after we, um, after we drain it out, there's still a lot of herb left. Um, is it worth to squeeze uh, do it a Squeeze, squeeze it, squeeze it. For a third time? Squeeze it. Oh, yes. Oh, no, I squeeze it. Please squeeze it. We, we, t- we have a wooden wooden um, no, thing where we hands, use our hands, hands and squeeze it. Your hands. Use your hands. Get your hands okay, in the herb. Remember, 
thermal absorption is real. Get your hands in the herb and squeeze it. I'll tell you, here's what, here's what we do at the Wise Woman Center. We make lots of infusion. And so we're usually making at least a gallon. And we have a large, um, it's more like a colander than a sieve. It's got small enough holes so that the herb doesn't go through. And we just kind of pour, you know, out of one vessel through the small hole colander into the other. And then we have all that plant material in the colander. And we put our hands in there and we pick up a big double handful and we squeeze it and we put that dry herb back in the pot, which is now empty. Or the other vessel. Or a bowl. Right. And we keep doing that and we squeeze and we put it and it's still going through the colander, right? So we're getting, you should have maybe an ounce less than a quart of water. If you if you start okay. with a quart of water, you should have a quart of infusion, maybe less an ounce. And it's really good for your hands, and you actually dermally absorb a lot. Somebody once called and said that that she was doing a student project and she was going to make an infusion tea bag with an ounce of herb in a tea bag. And I said, "Don't you dare do that!" I said, "I want people to put their hands in the herb. I want them to absorb it." <laughs> I don't want this to be a sterile, hands-off process. I want you to get dirty. Wonderful. 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 I love it. So so then by that time, you don't boil it again. If it's linden or comfrey, we don't squeeze it because we're going to rebrew it. Oh, so both of those you rebrew twice. Both of those I brew overnight with boiling water and then rebrew with half of the amount of cold water brought up to a boil. So I don't bother squeezing the linden or the comfrey. I just pour off the liquid as much as I can, kind of holding the herb back in the pan or in whatever container I've made it in. Right. And then I've okay. got most of it off, right, then I just put my cold water in and bring it up to boil, and then the second time that I strain it, that's when I really squeeze it. As a matter of fact, often I'll bring that out for class and get everybody to get their hands in there and squeeze it and to feel the slime and what's happening to your skin, and you can just feel yourself absorbing those herbs. Oh, wonderful. But our uh, the red clover, by the time I put a whole ounce in there, it fills up my whole jar. But you still use a whole jar of clover? You still use an entire quart of water. Okay. So here's how you do it. You boil a quart of water and you pour it in the red clover jar and at first it seems like I can't get much in there. And then suddenly all the air in the red clover blossoms goes poof. And there's a lot more room in the jar. Yeah, we stir them up. Yes. But wait also. Just wait a little bit, and the red clover will get much smaller. Really, it takes less than a minute. And then you will be able to get the rest of that quart of water in there. And or if you're doing it for two people, you can do it in 
a pan. When we make large amounts at the Wise Woman Center, we do it in a large pot. Um, so if I'm making three gallons of infusion, I had a really big pot that I had just made all of that infusion in. You could make that much. You could make it one at a time. Strain it. That's a quart for you, a quart for your husband, and then a quart each for the next day. It's not too much. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. And then you weigh up the herb and you have the amount of water, and it, it's, you don't have to worry about the jar. Now, one of the reasons, yeah, one of the reasons that I teach people to do it in a jar is because Rodale Press, the publishers of Organic Gardening, had people asking them what the best water to use to water seedlings was. And at that point, people were asking me, what's the best water to use for infusions and what kind of pan should I use and all of these to me, kind of tedious questions. But Road Press, having far more money than I did, decided to make an experiment. And so they took trays of seedlings and they had distilled water and rainwater and spring water and river water, all these different waters that they watered the seedlings with. And you know, when you do a scientific experiment, you're supposed to have a hypothesis. Their hypothesis was, like mine, doesn't make any difference. So at the end of the experiment, at the end of the growing cycle, whatever it was, one of the trays of seedlings had grown so much more than the others. And they went, whoa. So when your hypothesis is not proved, you do the experiment again. They did the experiment again, and this time all of the seedlings grew at the same rate. And they said, aha. Uh-huh. And they could have left it at that, except they said, I wonder what happened in the first experiment, which is kind of unscientific. But, hey, they're not beholden. So they called all the volunteers in, and they said, in the first experiment, this group of plants really grew fast. Does anybody know anything about this? Can anybody tell us anything about this? And one of the volunteers said, yeah, that was uh, the distilled water, and I kicked it over, and I didn't want to set up that I had done that, so I just took a bunch of water, and I boiled it. Um, and I figured that was, you know, as good as distilling it. And then I put it in the container while it was still hot and put the lid on. They said, really? So then they did the experiment for a third time. And this time they <laughs> boiled water, poured it in the container while it was still hot, screwed the lid on, let it cool, and then watered the plants with it. And boom! They took off and they went, what? And they then began to investigate what could be going on. And what they discovered was that... Well, we know that water is H2O, right? Mm-hmm. Two hydrogen, one oxygen. Those are both gases. Water is a gas. And so gases dissolve very easily in water, like chlorine or fluoride. Gases dissolve in water. And so there's minute amounts of different gases, neon and argon and xenon and so on, dissolves in the water. When you boil the water, the gases outgas, you pour it in a container, put a lid on it, the gases can't get back in. And that water then goes into cellular tissue in a much more fluid way. Wow. That's really interesting. 
so if I'm feeling like, all right, this is not just everyday infusion. I'm like really needing, I'm going to make it in a jar. Mm-hmm. And a half-gallon jar works too. Well, that's great. I have those. You, you know, weigh out your two ounces and put it in your half-gallon jar. Fill it up to the top. Wait that 30 seconds. Stir it down. Get more water in there. If when if okay. when you open your jar in the morning there's an airspace, then you didn't get enough water. Okay. You just give me a right. lot more heat on my infusion. Is there time these for are, one more question? These are wonderful questions. We have two minutes. <laughs> okay, real quick. I have a um a greenhouse full of chickweed. So I've been trying to harvest it every way that I can. Does it make a difference? If you're going to make a tincture or an infused oil, if you do it according to, like, the full moon or the new moon, or if you're going to there's pick it for there's nothing, There is nothing wrong, in my experience, with noting on your tincture or your oil uh, where the moon is in its phases. Does that actually have any influence on um, fluids on the on the earth, in our bodies, and in plants, no. I am much more likely to harvest when the plant says, if you don't harvest me in the next two days, I'm just going to get all leggy and go to seed. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm much more looking at the plant and Look at that! Look at that chickweed! Oh my gosh! Look at how dense it is! Look at how tight the leaves are! This is the day to harvest it. I'm not going to let it get ahead of me this year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the more you cut it, the more it'll come back. And if go ahead and harvest it when it's blooming with its stars. You certainly can, but the younger and lusher it is, the yummier it is. Chickweed pesto. Oh yeah. Okay. I like spring. I like spring salads with that young chickweed. That in the salad is mostly just chickweed with a few other flavors thrown in. Bingo! Our time is up. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for calling. Thank you Green. so so much. Bingo! And, and welcome to my sister Linda Conroy, the founder and one of the organizers of the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. She has a legal and social policy background, so you might be surprised to find that she's dedicated <laughs> to connecting with the green world. Is that your rooster, Linda? Linda? Linda is a committed herbal educator. Gosh, I've never had to play against a chicken before. That's what they always say. Don't play against animals or babies. Linda is a committed herbal educator and practitioner, provider of workshops and apprenticeships for her local community. She's also a skilled wild food and medicine gatherer. She offers workshops and consultations as well as handcrafted herbal wares through Moon Wise Herbs. Hi, Linda. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. I just have to ask if Linda's here to pre- please press 1. That wasn't the number she provided, but it was the same prefix. So here she is. Hello. Is that you, Linda? It is me. Hello. 
Hi, welcome, Linda. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much. How are you doing? I am so enjoying the spring. It has been yes. a long, cold winter. You know, we were just looking at the wood pile and going, we burned all that wood. We burned nearly five quarts of wood this year. Well, the, yes, it was very cold, and I agree. Spring is so welcome and refreshing. I was walking around looking at green things popping up today. <laughs> yes! Yes, 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 yes. So you mentioned in your bio that people might find it surprising that you have a background um, in social policy and legal work. And, and might kind of go, how could that possibly connect with herbs? Can you tell us something about that? Sure. I actually, I, so I have a degree in law and social policy, and I thought I would go to law school at one point in time. <laughs> and that was a long time ago, and right now it's hard for me to imagine. But it has really been interesting to see how that's intertwined. I have that degree, and then I have a degree in social work, and I focused a lot on community organizing and um, social service management. And it has been really helpful for me to understand, especially some of the legal implications of being an herbalist and um, the, you know, good manufacturing practices, how that affects us, how we might be affected by the perception of practicing medicine without a license. Like, understanding all of that has been really helpful to me as an herbalist. And has allowed you to share that information with others as well. Yes. I have, there's a student of mine who's an actual practicing attorney, a past student, and she and I sometimes teach a class together called Weeds and Legal Ease. Oh, how marvelous. <laughs> it's a really fun workshop. And she teaches one at our Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. She's going to teach it this year called How to Make a Salve and Stay Out of Jail. So yeah. that, <laughs> that's kind of fun. And, um, you know, it's fun and it's, it's um, overwhelming sometimes. I find that understanding our legal system, like even the – Recent um, controversies around um, trademarked products, understanding why that would happen and how that comes down. I mean, it's it's interesting. A lot of people are upset about it, but they don't really understand where it comes from. I mean, our in our country, we have business law that allows people to trademark things. And we, you might not agree with it. I actually don't. But understanding it is really helpful. Understanding it so that we don't get hurt by it? Yes, and understanding. I, I always say if you're going to break the law, you probably should know you're doing it. So <laughs> you can make conscious, deliberate choices about how you proceed in life and how you do things. Um, sometimes we well, do. Isn't, isn't that the rule about growing poppies? It's perfectly legal to poppies so long as you don't know that opium can be produced from them. Mm. <laughs> no, to make opium from poppies, and it's not legal to grow them. Or so I've heard. Mm. Mm. 
Right. It's one of those catch twos there, isn't it? Yes. And we're you know, we're in catch twenty twos all the time, I think. Um you know, we have a, a Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act that is something that really has supported um, co- consumer access to supplements and herbs and really grateful for that piece of legislation. Um, but the side of it that people don't always understand is that the Requirements are that you can't make claims about what you're making and putting out there in the world. And sometimes people are confused by that when they're labeling their products. So it's good to understand what the law is and, you know, get some guidance around that when you're labeling your products. Right. And what constitutes a claim? Like sleep ease is a claim. Yes. Exactly. I, I I remember when that law first came into being, and I was working at a health food store, and suddenly all of the products started changing their names to LF15. Liver <laughs> <laughs> formula 15, right? You know, they just went to this kind of n- numeric alphabetic gibberish because they couldn't make claims by the name of their product, which they had been doing. And, you know, Susan, the way that I've actually um, dealt with that myself is I call my products by the plant names because my products are primarily a way for me to interact and educate people. So I'm not looking to make a claim about something. But, like, for example, I make a cottonwood ointment that I sell. So I call it a cottonwood ointment. And it's really delightful when I'm out offering my products at a fair or a festival to talk to someone about cottonwood. We smell it and we interact with it. And then we talk about the plant, actual plant. And for me, that's what I'm interested in is creating connection through my product, not fixing or, you know, trying to um, uh, treat something, so to speak. To me, that's very much a manifestation of the wise woman tradition, that herbalism, when I came into it, was very much a kind of medical model that you were a practitioner and you treated people and you had formulas and those formulas were for specific conditions. And I believe that it's by the opening up of the wise woman tradition in our consciousness and having that as a story that we are able to um, come to a place where it's the plant that takes the preeminence and then we can make the next step. That that plant is actually sentient and that's why we just want to call it by the plant name because it can do a whole lot more than the few things we could possibly put on a label. Absolutely. And I, and I also I also am remembering, I'm hearing Isla Burgess in my ear and I bet you are too, going, how rude is it to say to a plant, what do you do? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually spent some time with Isla in January. I visited her in New Zealand. And, oh, I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> it was wonderful. And, yes, being with her and the plants, I actually supported her in a um, program that she was running. 
And it was so delightful. The whole program was about relationship with plants, you know, the types of workshops that she runs, and really taking a deep dive into that connection piece. And it was amazing. There were a couple students who had been to herbal programs and naturopathic school in the program, and they really didn't have a relationship with plants. And watching them light up, and have that relationship and feel that and experience that really for the first time. It was really wonderful to be able to watch that. And it always is. I just was particularly um, observing her facilitate that was really powerful. Yes, I like to think that the wise woman tradition put the herbal back in herbal medicine. Yes. And that's a big piece. I heard some of your program earlier, and I know um, you were talking um, about story medicine. And the part of the story is the relationship with the plant. And, you know, time and time again when we talk to each other as herbalists, we talk about our stories and our relationships and the first plant we harvested and how it felt and what it meant to us. And that is such a deep part of our medicine. And so being able to connect really deeply directly with the plants seems to me to be a part of the medicines that is missing if we go and purchase a product off the store shelf that tells us it's going to fix something. Yes. It's an okay way to start. Yes. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with going out and buying something off the store shelf if you think, I could never recognize a plant if my life depended on it, and I wouldn't want to use it if I had harvested it. It's kind of a store. It's great to be able to say you can go buy hypericum oil. You can go buy dandelion tincture. It's a great place to start, but I think that as we grow in it and as we come to understand what the plants can do for us, then then this whole opening up of the plant intelligence and to plant um, a, a motive atmosphere that we can participate in and partake of um, becomes very attractive. And I think it's something that women find at places like the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Absolutely. That's one of the big things that I think people really enjoy every session at that event. We have two plant walks that happen, and we've maintained that for the full eight years. We're going into our eighth year, and we've always maintained those two plant walks every single session because that is our commitment, is to encourage people to be out with the plants, interfacing with them, meeting them, and people really give us a lot of good feedback about that. <laughs> Yes, yes, and then being around other people who are telling their stories about that. And there's a lot of very interesting things going on at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference this year. Will you tell us about some of them or all of them? I will, and I know you and I are going to do next month a teleseminar about um, putting on a conference, so that should be really interesting. Um, I am so looking forward to it. Me too. I, it'll be really interesting just to talk about like how you actually the nuts and bolts of 
putting on a conference. But, yes, we have amazing – I mean, you're going to be at the conference offering a pre-conference immersion, which is a really special opportunity for people who are up for that and ready for it. And um, then we have um, – uh, uh, Coinciding with your program, we're offering um, for the first time a death doula training. So it'll be a three-day immersion for people who want to learn about supporting the dying process. And um, that's exciting. And that program has been really well received. We've offered birth doula programs for the past few years, and we decided this year to offer a death doula training. And so those are two immersions that are happening before the conference even starts. <laughs> um, and then we have, you know, a whole array of pre-conference workshops and um, then, you know, the whole weekend full of workshops on everything from, you know, herbal practice to legal aspects to making products to um, also personal growth and dancing and drumming and everything in between. Wow. 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 That's just what we want time to spend with women, time to spend in workshops, time to spend getting to know the plants. If women are interested to learn more, to connect with the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to the website, MidwestWomensHerbal.com, and check that out. And then, um, and we can talk more about this on the teleseminar, too, but I don't know if you're aware that we started a fall event, which is going into its third year, and that event is called Mycelium Mysteries, and it has a really strong focus on fungi and women's relationship with mushrooms and fungi. And so that is something else people can check out. The herbal conference is almost full. We have um, very few spots available for the main conference. So if people go Ooh, and find... congratulations. Yay. Thank you. It's been really exciting to see the energy and the enthusiasm. And one of um, our strategies for... Um, expanding the conference rather than growing the June conference, we're keeping it at a certain number. We decided to expand into offering a second event, and it's really wonderful to go into the woods uh, in the fall and see the whole forest floor just covered with mushrooms. It's amazing. Isn't it? I mean, just covered in last fall. I don't think I have seen the likes of it in 25 years every step you took <laughs> there, was, there were mushrooms and it was amazing we had workshops from crafting with mushrooms to drawing mushrooms to cooking with mushrooms to making medicine to IDing them it really has been an interesting dance and then also um the um women's relationships the concept of mycelium you know, the underground, basically, root system of the mushrooms, how women network just like mushrooms. And the herbal conference and that event, I feel like that happens. Well, a lot of times, and I know I've felt this, women will say, you know what, I love the workshops, I love the experience, and the best thing are the side conversations that happen at dinner or 
when I'm sitting on the lawn at break or whatever it is. So that's really um, heartening always to hear. It is so true that if you were to go to a big conference and go to no workshop at all, you would still benefit enormously just through the connections. And even if you didn't speak, if you just listened to women's stories, it's such a rich experience, and I thank you so much, Linda, for your dedication to it, because it does take a very strong dedication to it. Yes, you're welcome. I am honored to um, be able to have that dedication, and I um, am always so heartened when we get on site to watch everyone start to come together, and it makes it, makes it all worthwhile. So, how does this connect to nonviolent communication? Mm. So, nonviolent communication is a strategy that I have been involved in for a long time. It was it's a communication approach that it was founded by a man named Marshall Rosenberg, and I worked with him for a long time. And I bring it into my work with the conference and really all of my work. The goal of nonviolent communication is connection. And so every interaction that I'm having with the conference, with my work in the, my community, is geared toward connection. And with the plants, with the earth, that's the goal. And I always say there are strategies associated with nonviolent communication, but if you're not connecting, then you should try a different strategy. Like it's because <laughs> it, your vision and your goal is what you're looking for, not some strategy to be attached to a strategy, so to speak. Um, but I have found the strategies that I've learned through nonviolent communication to be really, really helpful in facilitating connection. And so being able to build a team that is running the conference is a part of that. Working with, you know, my students on a regular basis and creating the connections and the container that helps them to do the deep work that we come together to do, it's been a really um, valuable um, tool in my life uh, to be able to bring that as part of the journey. So I'm forever grateful for being introduced. I, it's funny because I heard you talking earlier about your apprentices and how long you've been offering apprenticeships. And I think I apprenticed with you in 1998, I believe. And at that same time, I was learning nonviolent communication with Marshall yes. Rosenberg. And I always say the, the contrast of the two of you at the same time learning from you was such a gift. Because I learned a lot about the fierce, strong feminine, and I learned a lot about the vulnerable masculine. And what a beautiful intersection for me at a moment in my life. I'm always grateful for that. Connection, because people are depressed and people are anxious and people feel alone. And mm-hmm. there's no need to be alone. There's, there's, there's so much to connect with, you know. I, I've been living part-time in New York City to help out somebody who's really important to me. And we take a walk every day. 
And I see the same people on the walk, and I catch their eye, and I nod, and they smile, and now they nod and smile at me, too. We don't even say anything. But we're connected. Yes. Absolutely. You know, I've been, um, so speaking of spring, one of the things that I've been doing, I um, tapped my maple tree in my front yard. And sap is going crazy. I've been getting, from one tree, I'm getting a lot of sap. And so today I had boiled some down to syrup, and I thought, I wonder if my neighbors would like to, would enjoy having a jar of this or watching this process. And so I went over to my neighbor and I said, hey, would you like this jar of syrup? And he said, is that from that tree? And I said, yes, it is. And his, the smile on his face was worth every second of boiling down that sap <laughs> because, you know, it's quite a job. Um, it is quite the job. Yeah. <laughs> it, usually, it usually requires staying up overnight at least one night. Yeah, well, I have a strategy that I don't do that, but it's, um, <laughs> it is a, it's a lot of work to, you know, make sure you get it all the way to syrup. And yep. that connection that he connected to that tree – I connected with him in that moment that I gave him the syrup. He told me they would probably make French toast. And I just, that's the kind of connection, like I'm wanting to foster that. And I have a connection with the tree. That tree has been, you know, incredible for me. So, you know, it all comes around to that, boils down to the connection, literally. (laughs) Literally, literally what gives us meaning in life, what gives us juice is the connection. And it's not that difficult to make those connections. To me, that's what nonviolent communication is about, is that it's really not difficult to make a connection. If you're willing to be present. Well, and you know, the vision that is the vision of nonviolent communication, even as Marshall Rosenberg saw it was connection. And the hard thing is, Susan, that a lot of people start seeing it as a more heroic um, activity, and they get really attached to the rules of nonviolent communication, which they're not really rules, they're really strategies. And when you get attached to the rule, then it doesn't become about connection anymore. It becomes about doing it right. And there's a lot of tension in that because we live in a world that is so looking for how to do it right, and there really is no way to do it right. You have to make a lot of mistakes and a lot of blunders to really, you know, find your avenue to connection. And that's okay, you know, for me anyway. I feel like I've, you know, I've done a lot of things and I've had to figure it out as I've gone along. And especially when things are tense or hard, um, having, you know, like hard conversations or sometimes even walking away from them but in a compassionate way and saying, you know, this isn't for me, that's fine. Yes. Yes, to, to be able to say it's not for me without it being you're not for me, you're bad. Right. So, Moonwise Herbs, tell people how to get in touch with Moonwise Herbs. Tell them again about how to get in touch with the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, and then we will come to that question that always comes up, what do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of people? But first, get connected with them, please. 
Sure. Um, for my personal business, Moonwise Herbs, my website is moonwiseherbs.com. And then for the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, people can contact the conference through midwestwomensherbal.com. That's so easy. Super simple. Super simple. Ah, so you actually have a couple of minutes if you want to take them. Uh, not just one minute. But I do want to ask you, of all the things we've talked about, or maybe even something we haven't talked about, what is the, the thing that you want to leave in the hearts and the minds and the bellies of everybody who's listening? So I think one of the things that has been on my mind a lot in the past really a couple of years, but um, you know, more recently, as the world seems very chaotic and there's a lot of things that are hard and challenging, and in that space, I want to really, really invite and remind people to take time out to spend some time with yourself, give yourself many vacations. I actually heard you talk about that earlier. Do something that's meaningless. Make sure you're taking a breath and not living in tension all the time. It's really, it seems really important for us to connect with, and we're talking about connection, connect with ourselves first and foremost, ground ourselves, be present for ourselves, and then we can be present outside of ourselves. It's super, super important that we nourish and take care of ourselves, drink our infusions, be connected, find the places where you'll be deeply, deeply nourished, and be honest with yourself and with those around you. Those are some of the things that I'm valuing today um, really deeply as I try to traverse this very complicated um, world that we live in. Yes, indeed. Complicated, at at least in part because there are so many others. And to me, it is one of the things that I am most awestruck about humans, about Homo sapiens, is that we can live together in really enormous groups and we can coordinate work that brings about things like the a huge bridge. The other primates, when the group gets too big, it splits off because they can't exist together at great population density. So look at what we're doing with millions of people living together. It's absolutely amazing. And I think that it's because more and more we are doing, as you say, we're really learning how to be present with ourselves and with each other. And because there's great herbal conferences that we can attend. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Linda, and I look forward to our teleseminar next month. And Rebecca, thank you, too. Together we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Good night, everybody. Love you, Linda. Good night. Thank you, Susan and Rebecca. Love you. Yes, good night. Love you, too, Justine. Green blessings. Good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.